I was very interested at the convergence of video games and real money gaming and trying to understand what elements could appeal to the wider demographic of video game players, considering that, you know, there's 3 billion people playing video games uh, and we're only tapping into a very small percentage of that as people who play iGaming or iCasino. Hey, this is Jesse, and you're about to hear my conversation with Carolina Peltz, founder and CEO of Beyond Play, which is transforming solitary game sessions into engaging multiplayer entertainment experiences. We covered so much ground in this episode that I've decided to actually release it as a two-parter, with this being the first half. As the first guest representing the online casino vertical, Carolina gives us a thorough breakdown of the iCasino landscape and explains how Beyond Play is innovating within it. She also shares how she was able to raise initial capital with little more than a pitch deck, and more recently, how she was able to close commercial supplier contracts even though the product is still pre-launch. Carolina is one of the most impressive founders I've talked to through the first 65 episodes, and part two of our discussion might be even better. But before we get started, I want to quickly remind you that the Betting Startups newsletter is the only weekly publication focused on the early stage ecosystem within betting, iGaming, and fantasy sports. It's the easiest way to keep your finger on the pulse of the rapidly evolving landscape. So go subscribe now at news.bettingstartups.com. All right, we are back with episode 65. And for this one, I'm super excited to welcome Carolina from Beyond Play, who's an entrepreneur that I deeply respect, having truly worked her way up to the top levels of the industry. And obviously, we'll dive into all of that in a few minutes here. But first, Carolina, it appears as though you and Beyond Play are on fire right now with a slew of huge announcements over the last couple of weeks, which includes the awarding of your UK supplier license. And then now just this week, news that you have successfully closed a new multi-million dollar investment into Beyond Place. So lots of exciting things going on on your end. And I appreciate you finding a few minutes to join the podcast to talk about it all. But first things first, how are you doing and how are you keeping with everything going on right now? Hi, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, and as we talked about before, I feel super privileged to be uh, one of the first guests representing the iGaming, iCasino side of things on your podcast. So thanks for that. I'm feeling great. I mean, I think you know, two years into the journey, I've come to understand that it's just a never-ending whirlwind <laughs> to a certain extent. So, I mean, the days where I have crazy workload uh, and sometimes huge anxiety attacks and it became sort of a norm. So I would say I feel okay right now, considering a couple of things came through last week. So it's always a big relief. But before you know it, you're, you're on, on your next big thing to deal with, <laughs> a life of a founder, that is, I guess. Absolutely. Well, one thing I want to ask you just right out of the gate here, Carolina, you just alluded to uh, a couple of words, iGaming and iCasino. And as you mentioned, you're actually the first guest in 65 episodes that's representing the casino vertical. I've typically had people, you know, generally working within the sports betting vertical. So this is somewhat new terrain for me. And what I want to ask you right away here is just like the, the language we're using to describe this vertical, right? I mean, I've been in the industry for long enough. I've known it as iGaming, but I think particularly from a U.S. perspective, I've hear hearing a lot of references to iCasino. So just Asking you, first and foremost, how do you sort of think about just the branding of the casino vertical right now? What's the right word to be using to describe it all? Well, to be honest, uh, it varies. When you're talking in the industry, I would say that just casino is how people refer to it. iCasino is definitely something that has started to be in use because of the U.S. I also like the term sort of real money gaming because it lets you position yourself out there in a bit more in mass media and speaking to a wider demographic. At the end of the day, it is gaming and it is just a real money gaming, right? So 
There are a couple of different ways. Real Money Gaming is probably my favorite, but the iCasino is making waves these days. So I do feel that the iCasino at the moment carries this sort of connotation of being this small, tiny piece of the industry trumped by this big and powerful sports betting vertical. But I think it's interesting because uh, I believe the U.S. will very soon change their tune and understand that it is, you know, the sports betting is the main acquisition channel. It's probably the one with the most interesting stories and touch points for the customers. But it is iCasino that is making the most money and it will be no different in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into, you know, your background and everything you're up to with Beyond Play, uh, let's just stick with sort of the iCasino space uh, in general for a moment here. Again, just acknowledging that most of my audience, I think, is, is you know, from the betting vertical and particularly probably North American focus. iCasino is still somewhat unfamiliar from like a North American perspective. And be helpful if you could just give listeners just for a minute or two, Carolina, a, a basic overview of the landscape and like who are the major stakeholders and just what does the iCasino world look like just at a high level? Um, if you could sort of paint a picture for us, that'd be really helpful. Yeah, sure. I think in short, you've got the ecosystem that is built from operators and suppliers and the operators could be either uh, casino-led where there are brands like Leo Vegas Group, 32 Red, Party Casino that are very largely focusing on sort of that brand positioning, Mr. Q, uh, most recently also making ways in the industry. Now, there are also brands that are the traditional sports betting brands uh, and used to be just having a casino vertical for augmentation of the product. But I think increasingly over the years, having realized that it actually makes uh, sometimes close to half of the money. Um, they started to prioritize it and make it equally as prominent. So you've got these two types of operators. Obviously, there's also Bingo that comes to place and Life Casino, which is part of iCasino. And then you have the supplier market space, which consists of, I think, hundreds of suppliers by now. And it goes in waves. When I first started in the industry, close to 15 years ago, you had just a couple of them, the micro gamings of the industry, the net ends, uh, were just starting out. Then at some point, I remember... NetEnt was hugely dominating the supplier space. Um, you know, they were probably accounting for up to 70% of revenues for some operators. And then the smaller suppliers started to creep up and started to build market share. So that dominance became less sort of um, visible. But then the industry just started to centralize and uh, one supplier would buy another. And then you'd have the evolutions that grew from a very small niche light casino supplier to this huge tech company that I, I recently heard that now has a market cap bigger than Spotify. So we're talking mm. serious, serious business here. Um, they started to buy uh, sort of slot providers to add slots to their portfolio. They bought a couple of the most interesting and best performing providers out there, like Red Tiger, Big Time Gaming, NetEnd notably. And then you have the other ones, the Playing Goals and play techs that are still very, very big and they keep buying smaller studios. So it's an interesting life landscape which, which changes very dynamically. And I think a lot of times people who are not that close to the industry um, have this criticism of both the operator side and the player side that it lacks innovation. Because obviously when you look at the US, you guys have this white sheet of ideas and there is like you know, ex-Disney, ex-Google people coming into these sports uh, brands and, and, and they sort of look down on Europe um, at, at the business run by veterans. But it's not a business lacking innovation. It's, it's a business built on innovation because when you're in such a mature market, the only way to survive is to innovate and also to operate in a heavily regulated market where you're constantly being faced by trying to balance 
being compliant and responsive to the new regulation with still building interesting proposition for your customers, you have to be innovative, even if it comes to approach. So there, there's huge amounts of innovation happening on both operator and, and gain side. Um, they might not just be that buzzword driven, you know, they're they are sort of niche and specialists and so not always that easy to spot. Awesome. Well, clearly, you know, your years in, in the casino world uh, have led you to this point. And Let's talk a little bit about that now, Carolina. Um, if you could give listeners a bit of a sense of your background and maybe some of the major chapters of your time in this industry up until you founded Beyond Play. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like to um, make a little joke out of this because I am 39 years old uh, this year and, you know, it's 21 years in the industry for me. So I would say I'm an industry veteran at a relatively young age. I, I have sort of casino blood run in my family. My father was a a casino manager when I was a child. So I actually visited casino for the first time when I was at, you know, six, obviously at the staff party, not to, not to gamble, but it was supposed to be a, a you know, a part-time sort of job for me at the university to just help pay for my university. I never considered making a bigger career of that. So I worked as a group here. I started in Poland and I worked in London clubs. I, I had a um, three years adventure on the cruise ships where I worked for Royal Caribbean in various capacity in the casino. And then I went back to London to study and I thought that was it with the casino adventure. But it was exactly the time where the online casino started to boom. And I realized there is just so much opportunity that it would be a waste to throw away by then five years of experience and, and start in some completely different industry. So I joined online and I, you know, I've done all kinds of jobs. I started as a poker manager, VIP poker manager, VIP casino manager. I did some marketing assistant jobs and I climbed my way to marketing manager and I think somewhere halfway through my career I decided to make a switch to product which wasn't easy but it was super interesting to me because I, I wanted to build new things and I started in product for marketing so I was building bonus tools and promotional tools some gamification and I think ever since I haven't looked back so my future rose as I climbed through you know head of casino director of casino it was always on the product and business management PL management side so I think most I'm mostly recognized for my time at Leo Vegas because I spent three years at Leo Vegas at the time where they were the most up-and-coming brand where they claimed that space of being the very first uh, mobile casino and everybody was talking about them. So I went to work there directly with the founders early on and we were sort of continuing on that journey with innovation and first with the latest. So we were the first casino to release net end games on mobile, evolution games on mobile. So I think that sort of gave me the injection of how it feels when you get to build new, never before done things and how players react to it and what kind of satisfaction there is and revenue generation opportunity as well. So yeah, I, I, I did that. And I think that's where I first started to have cool ideas for, for what could be brought to the market. And then I opened my own content company, which was my very first step into running my own business. So I had a consultancy, which is still active for three years. Uh, where I consulted uh, mostly at the management and executive level in the industry on all kinds of things, sort of audits, cross-sell, live casino. Live casino is a big hobby of mine because of my background. And uh, at Leo Vegas, I, I had the opportunity to build one of the fastest growing live casino businesses in, in Europe uh, with Evo. So, you know, I did the consultancy and just as I was deeply immersed in this consulting journey, I realized that it doesn't really fulfill me because as a consultant, you you give and suggest the ideas to people, but you never see um, them come to fruition and you never see the results, right? And it's also sort of give or take. Some of the ideas they're going to take, some of the ideas they're going to abandon. 
And at some point, I think I got frustrated to the point that I wanted to see some of these things come to life, which is when I got some support from my industry peers. And I found that Beyond Play as the first sort of not sole uh, director consultancy, but more of a tech startup that needed money raised, that needed a team and turned into what it is today, I guess. Awesome. Well, let's dive into that a little bit. Just the origins of Beyond Play, Carolina. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about, I guess, just that leap from the consultancy work you were doing and, and sort of, as, as I say, like making that leap into founding a tech startup and everything that comes with that. Um, if you could just talk a little bit about just the origins of it and, and making that leap. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, I've worked my, um, to, to a large extent as an innovation consultant. So people would come to me and sometimes the assignment would be us vague ask, can you build us something innovative? Because uh, you seem to know the trends, you seem to have done it in the past, so just go for it. And, and I realized that, you know, I, I could be doing this for myself rather than going to conferences and speaking as an innovation speaker about trends and cool ideas that could be built. How about I built them myself? I didn't have the courage, so I needed some encouragement. Uh, but then I got started to get a couple of approaches for startup CEO and you know, these opportunities showed out of my plate. So I realized, okay, maybe I do have the qualities to be the CEO and founder if everybody else around me seems to think so. So I assembled a couple of uh, advisor, ad advisors as a team. One of them was a technical advisor, my friend from the industry, Chris, uh, who used to be a CTO from Igrasil. And another good friend of mine, Tony, who manages Pixel Gaming and Black Cow right now. He was a commercial advisor. So they kind of filled the gaps where I didn't really know what to do because, you know, I had a vision. I, I knew what the product uh, needed to look like, but I've never raised money before. I didn't know how to uh, create a deck, where to go, where to start. And I needed help on the technical viability as well, right? So they've helped me out. We, we've worked on probably good six months on the deck and I analyzed all kinds of decks from Uber and, you know, Airbnb, tried to get inspiration from, from the big vision stuff. And then we started the, the the funding quest, sort of trying to find investors that are going to believe in it. It was not necessarily straightforward because it's one of those things that doesn't happen that often anymore where it was rich, literally a, a deck, you know. It had some high-level architecture. It had a couple of advisors, but it did not have a POC. Uh, building a POC in our industry is extremely difficult, especially for a product like mine that needs sort of double side integration to be able to work because we integrate both with studios and with the operator wallet. Uh, so to have to build mock uh, versions of that for a POC would probably cost me, you know, half a million alone. So I wasn't able to bootstrap any POC and also the regulatory aspect of it. Right. So we did race from a deck. We were very privileged to secure investment for that. Uh, and uh, Leo Vegas Group was our lead investor. And we had another strategic industry professional who is very well known for his innovative mindset and sort of bringing groundbreaking features to, to the industry uh, back us early on. And yeah, that's how Beyond Play was, was born. And I guess we've been around for two years now. And a lot of people sometimes miss the fact that we've made ourselves known at the moment where we got the money. So it wasn't when we had the product. We just literally announced, here we are. Uh, we are incorporating the company. This is what we're going trying to achieve um, and been sort of authentic and quite public since then. So we have a lot of people following the journey, but it also sometimes needs explaining going, you know, we're not just sitting there uh, uh, with a product and not going live. We're actually building the product from the, from the ground up, which takes time, especially when you're trying to build something of this complexity never tried before where you're obviously going to make some mistakes along the way 
But yeah, but in terms of trend, I think it was worth highlighting as well that I think it is my experience with uh, working with innovation and working with a mobile casino where the demographic was slightly younger, where I started to do more and more research into the behaviors of players. And I was very interested at the conversions of video games and real money gaming and trying to understand what elements could appeal to the wider demographic of video game players, considering that, you know, there's 3 billion people playing video games uh, and we're only tapping into a very small percentage of that as people who play iGaming or iCasino. And I realized that, you know, this is also what stands behind the huge success of Live Dealer. It is the multiplayer element. It is the community element. Also, you know, quite a big element of the sports betting experience. And I just felt that whereas the core slot gaming experience, which is very solitary and you play alone with the game, is very immersive. It used to be very consuming in the past when you played on a big screen with huge sort of sound blasting out of your speakers. But when people moved to mobile and sort of started playing in portrait mode, only occupying a little bit of their screen, where WhatsApp and Reddit and all the other things are pinging in the back, trying to, you know, distract you from the experience and very little people play with sound on anymore. That experience needed to change in order to engage the demographics that are now you know, 18, 19, I will be 25 in five years and have grown up with very different consumption patterns, with very different options for entertainment. And I just thought we have to fight harder and make the product more adaptive to, to what they might be looking for, which is interaction, community features, being able to connect with other people, share the experience with someone else rather than being isolated in this sort of game experience on your own. So then I guess to expand on the product and maybe to do a bit of a deeper dive on it now, Carolina, I mean, you sort of talked about the, the innovation that Beyond Play is bringing to the market with the sort of multiplayer approach. But again, for the audience of this podcast that might not have even played a single player sort of casino game before, can you just give us a sense yeah. as to kind of what the, the differentiator is that Beyond Play is bringing to the market and just sort of what's the secret sauce behind the vision that you have? Yeah, sure. I mean, for, for an audience that might not be that familiar with casino, I think the best comparison that you can draw is some of the products that started to pop up during the pandemic from the big tech giants. And actually, these products were not there when I came up with this idea, but these launches made me reinforce the belief that I was going the right direction. So you've got sort of Netflix watch parties and, well, Twitch obviously growing in popularity where people are interacting with the streamer where they're betting, all kinds of prime TV, double watch and everything that was centered around people sharing the experience, Google Duo, Apple SharePlay, you know, features like that. So what we're trying to do is imagine at the moment people are able to share movies and music and different type of experiences over chat, over their streaming platform and so on. We are bringing a product to market that allows them to share their gaming experience together. So we're, we're using a, a middle layer technology that sits between the operator and the studio which allows people to join a game session together. It's actually quite difficult to do because normally slots are designed for single player mode. So it's, it's not as easy as to just add another player. And for us, it was not enough to just create a gamification layer in which people connect over competing on playing different games. We actually wanted them to play that same game so that when the game is winning, they're all winning. When the game is losing, they're all losing. They're literally seeing the same spin at all times. So this is what we're building. 
And we made it double difficult for ourselves because we could have just built our own games for that. But we felt that the market was so saturated with game providers and so dominated by the big brands with the big budgets and, you know, great commercial relationships with operators. Uh, we didn't feel there was space for another provider. And we also didn't want to kill the vibe of this tech or make it more difficult for it to perform in case our games were not that good. We, we were confident that we could build great middle-layer tech. We were not confident we can build great slots, right? Because there are two very different skill sets uh, that you need for those. So we decided to build technology that allows people to play in a multiplayer mode, but the existing games. So you have your, you know, big time gaming hits or play and go, book of run and so on. We wanted people to be able to play those titles together. And uh, we also thought that this is going to give our technology the best chance if people already want to play the games, then you just give them a different way to play those games. So this is essentially what we're building. We have two products. Uh, one of them is the multiplayer that I just described to you. It's a product that targets casino operators. It's a great cross tool from sports betting, actually, and from live casino because it appeals to that whole community and multiplayer aspect that already exists in live casino and in sports. And we have another product, which is a jackpot engine, which is also a multiplayer oriented feature, but this is more about sort of contributing towards a jackpot. It's an opportunity for operators to add a completely content agnostic jackpot engine to their portfolio. So you know how, you know, you've got games that have built in jackpots and they historically do very well for acquisition. Uh, they're great retention tools because people want to play for that opportunity to win big, that life-changing price. Now, at the moment, those jackpots are very much sort of built by the supplier. They choose the games that they add the jackpots to. They're game contribution driven. So it doesn't necessarily appeal to all players because they might be worried about how it affects their RTP and so on. But we built a sort of external removed engine that an operator can add to their website and can offer jackpots on whichever games they want. So to give an example, if it was hard rock and then they decided to promote all music games or with the genre of music, they could add a hard rock jackpot on top of those games. And it's totally, they're totally in control of when they wanted to drop, how they wanted to drop. Of course, it's all, you know, licensed and RNG certified and uh, uh, the game furnace is insured but it gives a great control in terms of marketing tactics to the operator. Awesome. So thank you very much for the breakdown of the products. It helps to contextualize things a little bit. You know, you talked about how the initial fundraise was, was pre-launch and you basically raised with a deck. And I guess as far as the product journey goes, right, the product still is pre-launch, but you've been able to successfully close commercial supplier contracts already, which really isn't very common at the stage that Beyond Play is at. So I'm curious, Carolina, if you could talk a bit about how you were able to successfully pitch your offering being at the stage that Beyond Play currently is. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it's easy. I think if I'm totally frank, I, I do think that your history in the industry and your connections help to a great extent because you just know who to go to and who to speak to, uh, especially when you have to do this, this much convincing. We knew that building of this multiplayer product particularly is going to take time, but we also knew that convincing those studios to not only agree to a partnership with us, but also uh, agree to certain development effort will be difficult, will be lengthy, and we'll have to wait for our turn into the roadmap. So we sort of started with all our 
sales efforts from the get-go. So we're building the product in parallel. We're building the multiplayer product. We're building the jackpot product with two separate development teams so that they don't impact on each other's priorities, but they do sometimes still impact when it comes to launches, when we need all hands on deck on testing or project management, whatever. As a matter of fact, the jackpot is launching within two weeks. So we are nearing our first launch with a big operator uh, very shortly. Then we're launching another three operators in the next quarter for the jackpot product. With the multiplayer, is still a bit um, away because we, as I said, we underestimate the complexity as we go along because it's never been done before. But it was a very good call that we started those conversations early on. And there were a couple of partners who have shown great leap of faith to integrate with us early. And that helped us evolve the API because essentially what we are doing is we are remote controlling the game window from the provider. It's it's no small feat. <laughs> it's not easy. It, it takes a lot of testing. It, it takes a lot of creative thinking and cooperation, especially when you need to do it in a very compliant way for all your markets. Uh, you know, we are uh, licensed in UK. We are licensed in MGA. We are licensing in Ontario, Sweden, US. So there's a lot of things that you need to keep in mind here uh, when it comes to game window and what it needs to display. But yeah, they came on early and it helped us build the momentum. So, you know, it, it is a little bit of a self-driving wheel. Like if you see some providers coming in, especially the big names like No Limit City, you know, very prominent provider and known for innovation. Then we have Big Time Gaming signing up. It makes other wonder like, what's the product? Maybe we should look at it. And then when we showcase the product, they really like it. Sometimes it takes time. The, you know, the average partnership takes us six months to close because we go through such rigorous tech review and testing, you know, they want to make sure that we're going to be able to deliver on the compliance obligations and obviously uptime because at the end of the day, there are their games being displayed to players. So they want to make sure that the technology doesn't compromise the experience. So, but yeah, I think it was down to the dedication from the team. I've got some amazing people in my commercial team who are also industry veterans, Jackie Gad, who is our COO. I mean, she's a well-known industry figure. She's been director of gaming and a couple of tier one operators before. So I guess if you've worked really hard for so many years before and managed to deliver a couple of things that work, you're given that benefit of a doubt with your next thing that this is also going to work. You only get it once though. So, you know, we, we do have to deliver this time. But yeah, I, it was gr greatly helpful that we were in the industry for many, many years. So. Awesome. And you just alluded to the fact that, you know, you, you have the MGA license already, as I mentioned at the outset here, you just recently received your UK suppliers license. You also mentioned Ontario, Sweden. So I'm just curious, Carolina, like, how are you prioritizing different geographical markets and particularly Europe versus North America? Like, do you have, I guess, you know, priority given to one or the other? Or is it basically a, a plan for global domination? Like, how are you prioritizing the landscape from a geographical perspective? You know, if we had just a multiplayer product, I would have probably focused on one market to start with, as in probably MGA and have a think about whether we want to go for UK or not. Now, the jackpot product was quite unique because we were also able to take over from an existing software provider, jackpot software provider. And those jackpots had liquidity already in various jurisdictions. So in order for us to have a competitive offering, that will grant us those deals, we needed to have both UK and an MGA license. Now, the second element of that is also that there is a lot of uh, responsible gaming features built into our product. So our product really does appeal to a UK-based operators and their customers because it, there's a very big hype around sustainable, responsible type of experiences, you know, more entertainment focused rather than 
uh, heavy sort of high stakes gambling. Uh, so the MGA was a no-brainer for us. UK was tough. Uh, it's a very stringent, lengthy process, especially if you're a business receiving investment. Um, you know, the qualification criteria for investors are are high and you need to be very upfront. And uh, quite often you discourage investors from investing because it's just so much due diligence and paperwork that they need to go through. So you, you need to find ones that are really committed and invest um, and believe in you strongly. And then sort of, the element why we're going for uh, Ontario and U.S. at the same time is very much to do with the fact that there is such demand because we were focusing on the European market, but our brand awareness and all the efforts we've put into building the buzz around the trend, around the product have caused a lot of customers from the U.S. reaching out to us and being interested in the innovation and trying to differentiate themselves especially that U.S. is very much in that space of entertainment. They want to provide quality, sustainable entertainment with innovation to the players. So, you know, we decided to go for it at the same time. Whether that's going to be the right decisions, we don't know, because obviously it comes with great pressure on our compliance and operational teams and quite a bit of money. But we said A, we're going to say B. And it also helps you because for a software provider, it's not easy to convince a big customer of the likes of Flutter and Tain or, or, or any of these kind of big, big guys to add a software for just one market. They would want coverage of all their markets in order to even consider a space in their roadmap. So the more markets that we are available in, the more competitive we are and the easier it is for us to even find ourselves on their pool of options they consider. That makes a ton of sense, Carolina. Um. Let's shift a little bit to, to talk about the funding journey for Beyond Play. As I said, you know, you just announced a brand new multi-million dollar round of funding led by Better Capital. So, you know, first and foremost, congratulations on achieving that milestone. It obviously massively validates the opportunity you're pursuing with Beyond Play. Just a few questions around this, maybe just to start off with Carolina. I'm curious to know why your new investors are so excited about the opportunity and why did they decide that you're the right team in the right place at the right time? And you know, conversely, on the other side of that coin, why are you excited about your new investor partners in Beyond Play? Sorry to hit the brakes here right as Carolina was about to get into the details of Beyond Play's new multi-million dollar funding round, but we'll pick up there in part two, which will hit your podcast feed in the next couple of days. So we'll see you again then. Thank you.